Hello and welcome to the Permanent Good Podcast, a podcast that's part movie club, part improv comedy. My name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. And before we get started today, I have a a mystery that I need some assistance with. Uh, Today, I went and got lunch with my parents, and they ran some errands before we got lunch, and... You know, we're leaving the restaurant. I needed to grab something out of their car. And they were like, hey, we got this because we feel like you might like it. And Alex, you'll never guess what they gave me. They said, we got this for you because we feel like you would like it. What do you think they handed me? Comic book? No, I wish. Um, My dude, it was a box of Cheetos infused mac and cheese. Oh, boy. So... Do you have a vibe that you put out there? You're like, I can see where they picked up on that stuff. Well, you know how for Christmas, like your grandparents figure out you like one thing and then they get you that thing for the rest of your life. Right, right. Well, for stocking stuffers, my grandparents did snacks, you know. So every year for Christmas, I get um, some Three Musketeers, a bag of Starbursts, and then a big bag of Cheeto Puffs. And Mm -hmm. I've gotten that for probably a dozen years now. And I guess that is kind of my brand a little bit, but not enough to, you know, have my parents randomly and sporadically buy me Cheeto mac and cheese. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I give like my nieces and nephew like snacks. So like, um, yeah, like, you know, flaming hot Cheetos or candy as stocking stuff versus extra gifts every once in a while. Um, it feels like a weird move to get something you've never had before and express that you liked. Cause if you said, you know, I'm really yeah. into Takis, then you'd get Takis. If you're really into Cheetos, you get Cheetos. This seems like a stretch. Um, can you imagine also just like, say like you're going to your sister's house or something. Right. And you're like, right. Oh, we should bring some food. And then you like, so like, you make like a dish or whatever and you bring it over and then secretly you pull your brother-in-law aside and be like, Hey, I got you these. And it's like, uh, like off brand Mountain Dew two liters. Like that's a, what'd you do this for? I I expressed no interest in this. Yeah. I think it also says a lot about what the person thinks about you when they say they, this made them think of you or we thought you'd like this. Cause they're like, what kind of energy am I putting out there that made you think this was a good idea? And like, listen, I'm not trying to flame your parents. I love them to death. But it's weird. Me too. It's weird. So I'm going to try it. I'll report back. But like, it was such an absurd thing that happened today. It like stuck in my brain. And I just, I haven't stopped thinking about it. And I I needed to voice it because it's been on my mind all day. This happened at noon. Yeah, that makes sense though. That makes sense. I've gotten a couple things where people are like, you like cars, right? I'm like, yeah. And then I get a Hot Wheels. <laughs> right? And it's not even of a car you like. It, also, I'm an adult, you know? Or like, hey, you like games, right? Okay. Here's Dos, the sequel to Uno. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> this is a weird move, you know? Because it's like, hey, let me sum up your personality and then spend just like not enough money to th- make you think I care. You know, it's just like, hey, I stopped at the dollar store and I tried to sum up your essence under seven dollars. And this is what I came up with. So if 
like I said, I love my parents to death. It was just such a weird move. I, j- I needed to talk about it. We can move on now. Um, this week, we're talking about more movies that shaped me as a person. And this week, we're talking about Batman Forever. And, you know, hey, we're going to go full spoilers on this. Sorry, hate to break it to you. But if you don't want to hear us talk about this movie, you can skip ahead to this time code right here. Time code, 31 minutes, 55 seconds. So, we're going to do the same thing we did last week. Alex, what two things about this movie made it so I chose this as a formative movie? Dude, I've, I was trying to th- come up with one when I was watching this, okay? Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, yeah. don't look at it from like a superhero Batman angle. Okay. If, if that was something that you were thinking it about, it's not, it's not that. And this shaped you. I yeah. think you... As a kid, liked villains. This is one of the movies that made you think, "Oh, I can get down with villains." Like the bad guy in a movie, I can, I can be for. I think that's cool. And I think okay. this movie also shaped you because I bet you it was scary when you started watching it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This movie was definitely had scary moments for me. Like that scene where uh, Robin steals the Batmobile and like tries to take on an entire glow in the dark gang by himself. Like that scene made me very uncomfortable. I didn't like that. Um, But no, so the two things that like really made this movie formative for me is Jim Carrey's physical comedy was very formative to my own early, like comedy style. Mm -hmm. Like I mimicked him a lot as a kid. It was just like, so unique to me at the time like i think this is probably my first jim carrey movie right i think Mm -hmm. and i to this day really like the way he plays riddler he's the most comic book accurate version of the riddler we've seen so like he's he's supposed to be zany and campy and goofy um and as a kid that really like i resonated with that i thought that was funny i liked watching it right and um the second being also involving the Riddler, it made me realize I like riddles. Like, I was super into riddles for a long time after watching this movie. Just, like, watching Val Kilmer solve these riddles so quickly, I realize now that's bad writing. Yeah, because the riddles were I obvious. Was, when I was eight, it was very satisfying to watch him solve those riddles. And so, like, I was and still am into riddles because of this movie. Okay. So, I knew Jim... I mean, Jim Carrey's obvious. I, it was hard to find anything else for this movie, but Jim... Seeing this movie, like, I just looked at Macy. I'm like, it's Jim Carrey. We're watching this movie yeah. for Jim Carrey. That's... It's the biggest Craig part of this movie. Um, I mean, this movie is campy. And... I yeah. yeah. There are people who like comic book movies to be as comic book esque as possible, and there's people who like. I want the real life version of a comic book. I'm the second guy. Y- yes. So this movie came out in 1995, and comic books in the 90s almost infamously were a rough. It was a rough decade for comics, just kind of in general, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um. Like, a lot of people called the 90s, like, the coke-fueled era of comics. Um, everything was super out of the park, jump the shark. Like, it was 
super zany. And I think that this movie reflects that era very, very well. So this movie had the unfortunate consequence of following up the two Tim Burton Batmans. Right. And... Uh, we talked about Batman Forever on Small and Tall back in 2021, and the Tim Burton Batmans are are very good, and they more accurately represent what I think the common man wants from a Batman movie. I like it when Batman gets a little silly. He doesn't have to be super silly, but like a little silly. And I think that Val Kilmer's Batman was like the perfect, specifically Batman and Bruce Wayne. Uh, was like the perfect amount of silly. Like he cracked a few jokes, but he still knew like this is serious. We need to be serious. But every when it's appropriate, I'll do like a cheesy one line. Right. So which Batman's did he did bat the Batman and then Batman Returns? He did. Yeah, he did the he did Batman with Keaton and the Joker. That's Jack Nicholson and. Yes, and then Batman returns with Keaton again, and uh, that was Danny DeVito, DeVito and, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Okay. So the director of this movie is Joel Schumacher, and when Tim Burton left the project, Joel Schumacher came on. Joel Schumacher was like, "Hey, here's what I want to do." Joel Schumacher, from what I understand, originally wanted to kind of carry on Tim Burton's tone. But then Warner Brothers was like, eh, it didn't really work out too well with us in Batman Returns. Like, people thought the Penguin was a little too dark. Let's lighten it up a little bit. And Joel Schumacher heard, let's lighten it up a little bit and lighten it up a lot. And when he did that, that's when Michael Keaton stepped out of the project. And then Val Kilmer came in. Um, The the pre-production on this movie is crazy like i encourage anybody who like has any remote fascination with this movie the pre-production is buck wild so many things change so quickly um and like the number of people that were involved in this movie before it actually got started is crazy um joel schumacher we've actually watched a joel schumacher movie on this podcast before and you'll never, ever guess which one it is. Um, it is, in fact, Phone Booth with Colin Farrell. What? <laughs> also, if people don't listen to our podcast regularly, they have no idea what that movie is. They have no clue. So Phone Booth was a 2002 movie with Colin Farrell. It's a bottle movie. The whole 90-minute movie essentially takes place in a single phone booth. And Joel Schumacher also directed that movie, which is... I cannot express how different these two movies are. Like, Phone Booth is very serious and tense, and, like, there's emotions are very high. And Batman Forever is, like... We're just here. We're just, we're just here to kick it. We're here to have a good time. Yeah, it was weird because you knew bad things could happen, but it also felt like there were no stakes. In phone booth or Batman Forever. In Batman Forever. Uh, in phone booth, okay, I'm like, oh, okay, someone's yeah. going to die. Someone is going to die. People were getting and shot. So Joe Schumacher also directed Saint Elmo's Fire. Oh my gosh. With- <laughs> Uh, Demi Moore and Rob Lowe. He also directed The Lost Boys, and he also directed The Phantom of the Opera. So this guy's directing credits are all over the place. You know, I kind of respect it. <laughs> Me too. Because there's people who have a niche, like Scorsese, 
Scorsese has a niche, you know? He does serious guy movies. Most of the time, his best movies are gangster movies or gang-related. This guy doesn't have a niche. His niche is like, I just kind of like want to make stuff. Uh, this movie also has like a superstar cast. Like Val Kilmer is Batman. Tommy Lee Jones is Two-Face. Jim Carrey is the Riddler. Nicole Kidman as uh, the love interest, Chase Meridian. Uh, Drew Barrymore is in this. Debbie Mazar is in this. A young John Favreau Wild, is in this. Bro. Um, and also Chris O'Donnell is in this. And I want to talk about Chris O'Donnell for a second. Oh, you mean the star from NCS Los Angeles? So that's exactly what I want to talk about. You go to IMDb and his known fours is Batman and Robin, which is the sequel to this movie, which is rated 3.7 out of 10 on IMDb. <laughs> uh, Scent of a Woman, The Three Musketeers, and Vertical Limit. And like you said, he's been on NCIS Los Angeles for 14 years, 311 episodes. I don't know how many episodes of NCIS Los Angeles this guy has to be on before him as Robin gets erased from his known for on IMDb. It doesn't make sense. So I've seen (laughs) all of these movies. I've seen all of them that his known for is. The Three Musketeers shouldn't be on this list because no one remembers that movie. So replace that with NCIS. Also, it should be number one. Although Son of a Woman is a great movie, people know it because of Al Pacino, not because of him, you know? I'm trying to think of another movie that's like that. Um, But it's like, you're not, it's not about you. You are a supporting character. It's weird. It'd be like, um, it'd be like saying like you watched heat for Matt Damon. Yeah. I'd be like, well, yeah, he's in it, but like weird. I mean like he's, yeah, it's, it's just weird. So it shouldn't be in it. Also like if no one likes your movie, um, maybe it shouldn't be on your known for, you know, it might be what you're known for, but like, no one's I mean Green Lantern isn't and so Ryan I've Reynolds, looked right? through I've looked through how IMDB does their algorithm for their known fours and from what I understand it's how many times people have clicked on the actor when scrolling through a cast list and how many times that somebody has clicked on the title while looking through the actor's work so like Batman and oh, Robin man, is Chris O'Donnell's most clicked through title when either looking him up or Batman and Robin oh man dude I just so, I feel bad for him would you want his career I don't know his career outside of these movies well I that's his career don't. you know that, let's just assume that's his career because you know what he's I known mean, for and you know what he's getting paid for right now. He's got stable income. I, he's not a household name. Like he can walk around the streets, right? And like yeah. has to take a couple pictures, but he's not like getting bombed by the paparazzi. If it, was a sh- if it was a different show other than NCIS, maybe. <laughs> and a spinoff of NCIS? Yeah. So it's been 10 minutes and we haven't talked about the movie itself. <laughs> um, Batman Forever if you want to know the plot, the plot's actually kind of complicated in this one. It's it, it, this one's not yeah, as easy is. to lay yes, out. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, Edward Nigma, played by Jim Carrey, is obsessed with okay, Bruce Wayne. Okay, first of all, we get Enigma, right? We get that. Yeah. The first kid, thing I saw I with Nigma. So yeah, his name is Enigma, bro. And there is a riddle later on that reveals the identity of the Riddler, and. He's like, he breaks it down as Enigma. And Alfred is like, another name for a riddle, an enigma. And I'm like, this is the first time I've heard that word in my life. And I'm eight years old. And so I kind of just had to roll with the punches and trust them on that one. 
And it wasn't until I was like 14, I went like six years without he- hearing the word enigma in an in a context outside of this movie. Um, it's also like the riddles in this movie aren't good. All right, I'll let you talk about the plot and then we'll and then we'll get back. Yeah. To it. So Edward Nigma is obsessed with Bruce Wayne. He works at Wayne Enterprises, and he's like, "Hey, I have this device that we can control people's brainwaves and." bring people into the TV shows that they're watching. He's basically pitching an early VR. And Bruce Wayne is like, I don't want you to mess with people's brainwaves. That sounds weird and is messed up. And uh, uh, Mr. Nigma does not take that rejection well. So he kills his boss, you know, his immediate boss, dons the Riddler costume, teams up with Two-Face, who already has a vendetta against Batman, and they try to take over... Not t- yeah, they try to take over the population's minds so they can like steal credit card information and stuff like that. And also, they really want to kill Batman. Like the main yeah. thing is that they want to kill Batman. The ulterior motives come in at the very end. Um, so I think they the audience gets it. Now we can talk about the movie. Um, yeah, Two Face is has some of the worst character development I've ever seen. Oh, garbage. His origin story is on a TV in the background for about 15 seconds. Yes. And this goes back into like the pre-production problems because in Batman and Batman Returns, Harvey Dent was a character and he was played by Billy D. Williams. And it was in his contract that he was going to play Two-Face in a sequel when it came up. And Warner Brothers had to buy him out of that contract so they could use Tommy Lee Jones. And I find that fascinating. Um, Secondary comment on Two-Face. There's a, I have a, there's a three comments. We'll keep it to three for me. Um, Tommy Lee Jones is a horrible casting for him. Just yes. bad casting. I don't. I haven't read the comics, but I've seen enough movies. I've heard enough people talk about it. It doesn't make sense comic book wise, and it doesn't make sense like him acting. He hasn't. He hasn't done anything to prove that he can do this character um, up until this point. And since then, it just doesn't make sense for the other roles he's done. Granted, you don't want to typecast somebody, but at the same time, I'm like, it's not you. It doesn't make sense. I want to hear your third comment. I'll circle back to that. The makeup is trash. They spent four hours on it. The makeup's trash. And let me, just the big, here's my biggest thing. Let's say the makeup isn't that bad because the whole style thing is a choice. The zebra print, the leopard print, the weird hair. That's all a choice. That can be argued. It's the fact that they put makeup because they didn't have the CGI to do his open mouth like they do in the comics, like they do in um, The Dark Knight. So they put makeup teeth on. They drew teeth on. However, Tommy Lee Jones has a full set of teeth. So when he opens his mouth, you see his real teeth. And then his makeup teeth are still on his face. Yeah, it's a it and was to a point distracting. where the makeup teeth to the point where the makeup teeth don't even look like teeth. It's just part of the makeup at that point. Yeah, it's just like white on his lips. So I want to circle back to the acting thing. Sure. I think Tommy Lee Jones. The problem is not that Tommy Lee Jones was not right for this role. The problem was Two Face was the wrong person to pair with the Riddler, especially. A zany Riddler. I think that Tommy Lee Jones does an amazing job matching Jim Carrey's energy. That's true. And so I actually really like that. I think that those two having that like opposite ends of the same chaotic spectrum was really cool. And I think that they complemented each other very well. 
being an accurate and intense two-face, this is not. I think that Tommy Lee Jones could have been an Aaron Eckhart level two-face mm-hmm. if he was the solo villain, if he was in a different kind of Batman movie. I, I but, think if he had to play that version of two-face, he could have done really well, but he wasn't. And I think when he got cast, he got cast for this weird energy two-face and that's not him. Yeah. And also people, when people talk about this movie, the first thing they talk about is how, uh, Tommy Lee Jones absolutely hated Jim Carrey. And I just want to say, you know, there were moments where you're like, now that I know that I can see that in this scene. But other than that, couldn't really tell. You really they can't look tell. Like they're having a ball together. Yeah. They're like in each other's laps, like inches away from kissing. They're like on each other. And if you're not looking for it, you would have no idea. So, you know, good for them. Real professionals. Big fan of that. Right. Okay. Secondary point. We can talk about Jim Carrey a little bit more because he influenced you. Um, he is hands down the most comic book part of this movie. However, this yes. whole movie is very campy, very comic book-y. Probably the most comic book-y movie I've ever seen. Probably. Yeah. There are more. I think there are movies that are more comic book accurate. Like, I think Dead, Deadpool is pretty comic book accurate. I think there are shows like... Uh, Daredevil that are very um, comic book. Accurate. Into the Spider Verse is like pulled straight out of like it. It looks like it's pulled straight out of a comic book. Right. However, I would say this movie has the comic book vibe. The like this is yeah. all. It almost feels like this movie's for kids. Yeah, yeah. I definitely get that. You know, in the same way that early comic books felt like kids' books. You know, yeah. anybody could read them. Anybody could watch this. And I think that, you know, you could still get something out of it, but they, there was definitely like a vibe that a lot of people interpreted as, you know, maybe not, maybe for a younger generation. Right. I think it's the same way people like look at musicals and look at animation like, oh, this isn't for adults. I feel like there's someone, maybe an executive somewhere looked like, hey, this is Batman. Adults are not going to go see this without their kids. And they, it felt like that influenced this movie. And I bet you this is, like you said before, a direct influence of the predecessors of, hey, those movies are too dark. Let's not do that. Um, and this is like not my favorite movie. I think it's I'm one of those guys like I like seeing real life adaptations of fake worlds. Put that how it would be now. And although it's not might not be super authentic to the source material, um, I think it's easier for me to watch that's how i prefer superhero movies um but i get while i was watching this i'm like this is just not for me but this is definitely for somebody like you if you want a batman that has quirks and quips to stuff and he jokes around and if you want a person who like with alfred is like taking jabs at bruce wayne then yeah this is the movie for you i just like don't that's not how i look at him if that makes sense yeah, absolutely. I do want to say, since you brought him up, um, Michael Goff. I don't know if it's Michael Goff or Michael Go. Regardless, best Alfred. Oh, best Alfred dude, ever. I was going to fight you. He's my least favorite Alfred. Michael Caine, nah, amazing best. Alfred. Jeremy Irons, amazing Alfred. I, I don't know. I think he just has an elegance about him. Michael Caine has a forced elegance. I not for a single second believe that Michael Caine has like the diligence to truly be the kind of Alfred that I see Alfred as being. Mm -hmm. And Jeremy Irons is too hot to be Alfred. Sorry. He's too hot to be Alfred. I love Um, it. I just want a movie with a bunch of hot people, Craig. 
<laughs> and I think that this Alfred does like he's the most he's butler. the best. Yeah, he is. And that's the thing about Alfred is like, yeah, he kicks butt and he served in the military, but he's also like 80 and a butler. And I think a lot of Alfred interpretations forget that. And um, they just want a cool best friend who's older and a mentor. And I want yeah. I like that guy. And I feel like this Alfred was uh, still a good mentor without being like his straight up dad. Yeah, I, I definitely in this movie, I still felt like he worked for him. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that's the side of Alfred I don't see often. A lot of times they're like partners. This is like, no, he's telling you what to do. <laughs> and you're just yeah. like shooting jabs because you've known him since he was a kid. Um, what do you think about? OK, so moving on from them, uh, I'm ignoring Drew Barrymore. Just ignoring it. Um, uh, okay. Nicole, what about Nicole Kidman? What do you think about so, her portrayal? Um, her Dr. Chase Meridian is such an interesting character for me because this movie came out in 1995 and Harley Quinn's first appearance is in 1992. And Dr. Chase Meridian is Harleen Quinzel almost to a T. Yet completely unconnected characters. <laughs> right. The... <laughs> So I had to look it up to double check, like, was Chase Meridian, like, supposed to be an interpretation of Harley Quinn? Like, was this, like, something they were going to lead to, but Nicole Kidman was too expensive? And no, just kind of a coincidence. Chase Meridian is an original character that was written for this movie. She was, like, brought into DC Comics canon, like, decades later. And I just, I find that so interesting. I think she is... The most interesting love interest that I've seen in a Batman movie that's not Selena Kyle. Um, I think that she really does complement Val Kilmer's Bruce Wayne very, very well. Um, She once she becomes a damsel in distress, I care less. Uh, But up until that point, you know, I I like what she does. I I think it was good. Um, I'm I don't know how I feel about it because. The problem is when the whole movie's campy, when the whole movie's comic booky, it's hard to believe romantic relationships because it's not real. I've, sure. I've just been convinced this world isn't real. So I don't. I thought the dynamic of I like both Batman and Bruce Wayne is interesting. I feel like the I'm turning down Batman to be with Bruce Wayne is also interesting. But like it, I wasn't attached, so I just I just didn't care. I was apathetic to her performance, her being in the movie. Um, it just seemed like an extra thing, kind of. Yeah, I definitely didn't think this movie was going to be two hours. I like I opened up HBO Max and I hit play and I'm like, cool, this is going to be a quick 90 minute romp. And then it said two hours and I'm like, oh, uh, OK. Yeah. De- um, when they did the bit where they were like, all right, time to save either Robin or Chase. Like, who's who do you prefer, the Batman side of your life or the Bruce Wayne side of your life? Like, that went on for a while. Like, we could have trimmed that down a little bit. Also, when I saw but, that, I'm like, did uh, Chris Nolan just steal that for his Batman movies? <laughs> did he just straight up cop that? Or was that in the comic books? Or maybe that happens often in the comic books. But I'm like, this is weird. Also, it's weird that we're involving a love interest, which happened in The Dark Knight, and Two-Face, which happened in The Dark Knight. Like, these movies, there is crossover, and it's weird. And, like, Two-Face involves a secondary character who's obviously off the rocker solely so that they can kill the Batman. And it just felt 
these movies are connected. They're not not connected. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, during that part, too, I also felt like it was dragging. It, also, it was also like, based on the themes of this movie, I didn't feel like one of them was going to die. Yeah. So, I felt yeah. like these guys are pretty safe. There's a couple movies we've seen that are like, you get some pretty dark feelings from the beginning. You watch enough people die on screen. You're like, oh, this is a real choice. For this, I'm like, they're going to be fine. Um, what do you think yeah. about Val Kimmer's portrayal? You can compare it to Keaton or just him by himself. I or in the grand scheme like, of all Batmans. In the grand scheme of all Batmans, I think he does the best job balancing both. End of sentence. Yes, I think he does the best job balancing both. I think that Michael Keaton uh, is a good Batman. I don't like his Bruce Wayne. Uh, George Clooney. We're not even going to count him. Um, <laughs> Fair. I think that Christian Bale is good at both, but I still don't love his Batman, and yeah. I Dude, don't the... love Rob, and I don't love Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne. So Val Kilmer is the okay. only one where I could be like, I genuinely like he's charismatic as Bruce Wayne, and he's intimidating as Batman. So like, I think I, this movie think also that... does good of giving you screen time with both. I think my beef yeah. with the Dark Knight series is I like Christian Bale's Batman. You just don't see his Bruce Wayne. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. And when he's Bruce Wayne, it's because he's on his way to be Batman. The only scene that we really see that has a bunch of Bruce Wayne is the party scene where Joker does the got these scars monologue. That's like the only right. Bruce Wayne scene in the whole in the whole trilogy. And then he disappears to go be Batman. And then there's, you can also make an argument he's Bruce Wayne for a lot of the third movie. Um but it's but not I don't enough. care. It's not enough. <laughs> so and then I think this movie does a good balance of both and I think that's why I can like both is because you see both. Like but the other movies focus so much on Batman I'm like I kind of forget Bruce Wayne's like guy. So Yeah. For sure. I, I get it. Christian Bale's always going to be my Batman. I like Robert Pattinson's uh, Batman. We'll get to that later. Um, I I didn't... I have no problem with Vil, Val Kilmer as Batman. It feels weird that he only did one. I feel like he should have done yeah, more. Yeah, I really wish he had done the second one. Even if it was still a bad movie, you know, at least we could have gotten a little bit more Val Kilmer screen time. Yeah, he did not do a bad job. So I'm like, one of those things, I'm like, well, why... It was probably contracting issues and a million things going behind the scenes, but I'm like, he was good. He was good. I am going to give this movie like a six and a half. Okay. I enjoy it. It's not perfect by any means. Some might even say it's not good by any means, but I rewatch it. I actually did like this movie more than I thought I was going to when I started this rewatch. So I, I was pleasantly surprised and therefore it sits at like a six and a half. Um, I'm putting this movie at a flat five. Um, it's a movie for me. Um, yeah. It's also just not for me. It's not for me. I like other Batmans. I like other portrayals. This movie is just not for me. Um, but it's not a bad movie. I don't. It's. I don't think it's bad. There's stuff in there that's weird. Like the Drew Barrymore character is weird. Um, and I think there's stuff that's just like different. It was a. I think there was a lot of choices in this. I don't think there were bad choices. It was just choices I wouldn't have done aesthetically. Or whatever. Um, so it's just a movie. I probably wouldn't recommend it to people. I think there's too many other Batmans to recommend. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm comfortable giving it a just five. Okay. All right. So, moving on. The rest of this episode is going to be pretty casual. We're going to be doing our 2022 year in review. So, 
the, when we do our year in review, we typically, Alex and I have both curated a list of our top five favorite movies from the year, and then we kind of chat about all the other good content that we've consumed, be it games, uh, music, TV shows, etc. Um, where do we want to start? Um, I think we should start off with the hitters. Let's start off with movies we really liked. Um, favorite movies of the year. Okay, favorite movies of the year. I'll, I'll start us off. Um, this was a list that I had a lot of struggle with because I felt like I, I started, you know, when like November was around, I was like, I don't have a top five list. I have movies that I liked. I have movies I really enjoyed, but very few movies that I felt comfortable putting into a top five list. Um, then December came around and a bunch of hitters came out at once. Right. So I like my list was in several different stages. To I rewrote my list today. Good. So like, grief. like this was a very like last minute. I needed all the time that we took to make this list. So I want to start with an honorable mention because I did finalize my list today. Um, a movie did get kicked off the draft that I wanted to talk about. I saw Prey, that Predator prequel. That movie is right. so good. I've never seen a Predator movie before, and I watched that one. That movie made me want to watch all the other Predators, and it's great. It's fantastic. So um, I, I was thinking the same thing. I haven't seen it because I haven't watched any of the other ones. So I'm just like, eh, I won't watch it. But I've only heard good things. And here's the thing. It's so, a 90-minute movie. Mm-hmm. It's a 90-minute movie. You don't need any other context. It shows you all the Predator's powers, so it's not like you're like, oh, I guess he can do that. Like, It makes everything make sense. So Prey was fantastic. Probably my, probably my favorite like action-specifically movie that I've seen this year was Prey. And I wanted to give that a shout-out before um, I went on. That's awesome. Uh, number, number five sits um, Avatar, The Way of Water. I oh, wow. was not expecting to like this movie at all going into it, but I did. I did. I I this movie uses a lot of tropes that I don't like, like bullying middle school kids. Mm-hmm. Um this movie is about Jake's kids and, you know, them growing up in a different tribe than the tribe that they were raised in, and they get bullied by the other kids in the tribe and I don't like watching that. Um, so that was like the biggest downfall for me. However, this movie uses its three hour runtime to just be beautiful. And I realized while watching this movie, I was like, this is boring, but I don't care because I love watching James Cameron do world building. James Cameron is like, one of the best world builders out there just based on these two movies alone. I'm going to watch every other Avatar sequel just because I want to learn more about Pandora. So that's why that movie is sitting at number five. Number four is uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I talked about that a few weeks ago, and I still think that movie is gorgeous. I think that movie has some incredible themes. And since I talked about it already, I'm not going to talk about it for too long. I just think that that movie's adorable. It's good. It's emotional. The voice acting is fantastic. It's one of those movies that I think everybody should watch. Everybody should watch that movie. Sure. Um, next, so number three for me is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Dude, uh, this is this would have been my one if I had seen it. It Everyone yeah. who's described it 
makes it sound like it's my freaking movie. I just haven't seen it. So that's all my honorable mentions, and I haven't even watched it. So I think that this movie is the most unique movie that's come out this year and probably will come out for years to come. It's gorgeous visually. It's striking. Just in costumes, makeup, themes, designs, uh, everything across the board is fantastic. This is the kind of movie that people... That we needed. The industry needed this movie to shake it up a little bit. Because we've been getting a lot of boring dramas recently. And <laughs> yeah. we needed this movie. Because it's funny, it's exciting, and it's incredibly heartfelt. I think that it tells the story of what it's like to be in a... It talks about what it's like dealing with what your parents have given you. Be it good or bad, unpacking how you were raised and trying to be your own adult is explored very intensely in this movie. The reason why this movie is not higher on my list is because I've watched this movie three times and each time I found a different part boring. So, like, when I first watched this movie, I liked the first half, but I thought the second half was poorly paced. And then I watched it a second time, and I was bored of the first part. And I'm like, all right, let's get to the second half where they do the fun stuff. And then the third time, I was kind of like, it was just pieces here and there. The stuff that, like, had gotten old on the third time viewing. So, I think this movie has pacing problems that I think makes the exciting parts more difficult to enjoy. I equate it to that part in Terminator 2 where they're doing that scene in the in the warehouse and we're like, didn't we already do the big action climax? And then they do another yeah. action climax. This movie does a very similar thing. It's good. Every time the movie climaxes, it's good. They just do it too many times. Um, gotcha. So that's why it sits at three. This movie is fantastic. Again, everyone should watch this one. Now we're getting into the, hey, this is Craig's personal choice. Uh, number two is The Fablemans. I've talked about this movie before as well. This is Steven Spielberg's kind of autobiographical telling of his own life. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a very amazing coming of age story. This is a story that I relate to more than the other movies below it, which is why it places higher, just personal relatability. I think the gotcha. story is really good. I think the telling of character relationships is very in-depth and interesting to watch unfold. And I think it takes unique perspectives that I haven't seen. Like, very rarely do you see a movie where you watch a teenager realize that even though my mom messed up, my mom just messed up once and I can be mad at her, but I still love her. That's sweet. Okay. You don't see that very often. Um. So that's why Fablemans is number two. I really like the character relationships and the and I like the story and I relate to it. And now here's number one. Number one is the shakeup one. It, it's it was the last it was the last day draft, and it's the whale. I watched the whale today and I went into it expecting it to be overhyped. the The internet likes to do this thing where it'll take a person and it'll champion that person, and not to say that Brendan Fraser doesn't deserve the support he obviously does but i expected the movie itself to be overhyped as a consequence of this um no this movie's perfect <laughs> alex when i 
when I say it, I'm I'm this movie's perfect. Like, holy crap. Um Brendan Fraser is fantastic, Sadie Sink is fantastic. The story of this movie, just for some context, is Brendan Fraser plays a, a morbidly obese man named Charlie, where he finds out that he is a week to live. And he uses that week trying to reconnect with his daughter that he abandoned eight years ago. He abandoned his family, and he's trying to reconnect with her. And his daughter, in that time, went, became very rebellious, is flunking out of school, does drugs, stuff like that. And she's very mean to him. She mm-hmm. goes to his apartment to see him and starts insulting him, uh, belittling him, and in general, just not being a bad person. And throughout this entire movie, it does it lets us agree that Charlie is in the wrong and he was a bad dad to her, but not overly villainize him. And what I really liked about the whale was Charlie's unrelenting optimism. He knew he was going to die and he accepted that for himself, but he refused to believe that his daughter was the cynic that she said she was. And he spends this entire movie trying to break down her walls and make her see that. And he says this a lot. He's like, you are an intelligent mind. You care for people. No matter how much you deny it, I know that you are a caring person and you are intelligent and beautiful and creative. And seeing that reckless optimism and pure hope radiate from this character that has nothing left for himself is it was just gorgeous i walked out of that movie a different person and i this movie very quickly became my front runner for many many things this movie lands in probably my top 10 of all time and it's it's it this is a 10 out of 10 movie for me so that's why the whale sits at number one for this year well, Craig, for the first time, we don't have any overlapping. Okay. Not a single one. Um, and I think one of those, there's a pretty big reason for that. You work in a movie theater and I don't. Yeah. I, the, I haven't seen four of the five movies you talked about. So like if I had seen them, maybe. I, I'm excited to see The Whale. I hadn't even heard of The Fablements before I started looking up movies that came out in 2022. And then, I mean, everywhere, all at once, I've wanted to see. Pray I've seen I've like I've seen that it's available, um, but I I've been very limited to movies that came out this year. I haven't I've seen I would say four movies in the theater this entire year, so I've had to wait for everything to come out streaming services or rent it. Um, so my list is gonna be completely different. Most of my list I would say are hot takes. Okay. So I'm okay with the audience disagreeing with me. I before we get started, I do want to say the worst movie I've seen this year, hands down, is Blonde. Blonde <laughs> okay. was okay. so bad. I wish I would have gotten that time back. There's very few movies that I'm like, I feel like they took time off my life and they owe me. And that's one of them. Um, and I'm just pissed because I know there's a pretty good, <laughs> there's a pretty good possibility it's going to get nominated for stuff. And I'm anti everything. I hope nobody wins anything. That's how I feel with Tar. That's how I feel with Tar. Dude, people love and Tar. And I know. People love it. Dude, people love Tar. And I don't see it. Yeah, it's one of those things that like, I, you know, here's who's a lot of win. Everyone, like, I mean, 
costumes, set design. That's who, that's it. That's everybody. Um, nobody else is allowed to get, I mean, if you get nominated, I hope it helps your career, but you can't win. Someone else deserves it. So I'm anti-blonde. Um, uh, honorable mention is, ev- you know, everything everywhere all at once. Haven't even seen it. Honorable mention. Another one, I have to do it for the culture. It's going to be Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever. I saw it in theaters. Um, I loved the aesthetic. Didn't like the story. I felt like this movie needed Chadwick Boseman. And the fact that the movie was based on grief, but and grief in real life isn't linear, and then this movie is not linear. But when grief isn't linear in a movie, it's hard to follow, and it feels like bad writing. If all of a sudden your character's just better now because they went through the process, it's hard to follow. Um, but as far as the cameos and the aesthetics and the drama and the cultures that were involved, I think it's a beautiful movie. It's, it just didn't hit it for me, which is weird when you find out number five is The Adam Project with Ryan Reynolds. Whoa, yeah. I keep seeing... So when I was making my list, I, you know looked through my IMDb ratings I sorted by this year, and I kept seeing The Adam Project, and I'm like, that was a fun movie. I always stop and I think about that movie. That was a fun movie. You know, I don't disagree with that take. That that one's a fun take. Yeah, and I liked everybody in it. Jennifer Gardner was amazing. Mark Ruffalo was amazing. Young Adam and the chemistry with Big Adam, so Ryan Reynolds and then Walker Scobell, who played the younger version of him, they had unmatched chemistry. It yeah. worked. I genuinely believed that they could obviously they don't look anything alike and didn't make sense, but like it, the personality was identical. It was amazing. Um, and then just the sacrifices of fatherhood and, you know, sacrificing yourself and saving your previous, all that whole dynamic was just dope. It was just dope. Um, I liked it. I want to watch it again. Um, it's, it's Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds. So if that gets old, I get it. I understand. Um, I'm that way with The Rock. I'm that way with Kevin Hart. I'm that way with a lot of things. So if this is if he's that way for you, absolutely don't watch it. But it's on Netflix, and I remember watching that, being like, that was refreshing. I enjoyed that. Um, and I I don't know. I would watch it again. I liked everybody in it. My yeah, number for four sure. spot. I'm agreeing with America is Top Gun Maverick. Here's the thing. And if you listened to last week's episode. We went through some emotions when deci- when deciphering this movie. Right. I'm going to say Top Gun Maverick made this list because I hadn't seen a lot of movies from this year. Um, the first hour and a half, I mean, listen to this last podcast. The first hour and a half is just planes the movie. The last 40 minutes, you need to have watched the first one to get the full impact. But I, it's just a masterpiece. The last 40 minutes is a masterpiece. Do I think... The last 40 minutes is enough for this to be the, you know, the second biggest movie in America this year. Absolutely not. I think movies need to do more to be number, you know, two all time, all for the whole year. I think there's going to be movies that are straight up better and we know that and they just came out later in the year. So it's hard to compete, but like this movie is just for Americans built for Americans. But at the end of the day, cinematography was beautiful. The editing was incredible. Um, the story, the last 40 minutes, the relationships was impactful. And at the end of the day, watching a dog fight was a sight to behold. It was just a great movie experience. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, sure. Okay. I think my number three and number two are going to be the biggest hot takes. Um, 
Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is my number three. Okay. People don't like this movie. Yeah, and that's so strange. I mean, pardon the pun. I I really agree with you on this. I think it'll be a long time. It would take a, a very heavy hitter for me to put a Marvel movie in my top five again for a while. But Doctor Strange is not a bad movie. And a lot of people think it is. And they're wrong. There are bad parts. It's number three because the other ones on this, the number four and five are just worse. Okay. Like, I don't love this movie. I don't love it. But it's a good movie. I think there are there are three big things I have wrong with it. One, I think everything, I mean, spoilers, hardcore right now. So I'll talk, try to talk about this for about two minutes um, and then skip to that. The makeup after he is dead is trash. It's just bad. Um, that whole him coming back as a dead person is rough. It's just rough. I like that he's fighting his demons, but looking at it was not scary. Watching other people, watching Rachel McAdams, lover, who doesn't, fight them was way more scary. Um, the eye at the end. I mean, if it happens in the last 10 seconds of the movie, it shouldn't be able to ruin the movie, but people are pissed about it. Um, yeah. People are pissed. And then I think another rough part was people are upset that this whole thing could have been figured out with a conversation. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's so many movies, though. Be like, well, if she would have just like, you know, had a conversation with the kids, they would have already realized we already have a mom and we wouldn't wouldn't want that relationship for you. Or if there was been another way for her to realize that, then no people would have died. That's every movie ever, bro. You're telling me no other movie can be solved with a conversation or the bad guy realizing that they're the bad guy? I think a lot of bad guys just need to realize that. And it just took a massacre for that to happen. And I think those are like the big three reasons why people hate this movie. Now, let me tell you, this movie's freaking dope. One, Wanda fighting the multiverse leaders, commanders. I forgot what they're called. And the I, Illuminati. The Illuminati. And we're getting towards two minutes, so I'm going to get rid of spoilers now. Her fighting the Illuminati was top 10 coolest moments in all of the MCU. Yeah. For mm-hmm. me. It is absurd how she goes for broke and is not pulling punches. And then the final kill she does is beautiful. I made an audible noise in the theater. That was incredible. And I think just that alone escalated this movie past so many other ones. A lot of people call this movie mid. It's not. It's better than that. Um, Involving Rachel McAdams, fire. America is something, you know? Yeah, America Chavez had the problem of being a human plot device which is a problem that this whole face has had but what are you gonna do what are you gonna do but at the same time it allowed us to access the multiverse so i'm not upset about it and i think the aesthetic i think the pacing is dope i think this um the fact that there's good guys and bad guys oh the scene where she's like whispering to that guy when they're all trying to keep her out i mean bro what i'm i liked the dark stuff of this movie and this movie was definitely one of the darkest in the MCU outside of like Infinity War. Um, this movie's dark, dark. And I think that's why it's my number three. And you can't convince me otherwise. I, I'm i going to tell you this movie's like an eight. I don't remember what I gave it the last time. Or high seven, like a seven, seven, five. People shouldn't. It's not the best one in all the MCU. And it feels weird that I'm rating it so high above non-MCU, non-superhero movies. Um, but suck it. Um, my number two, another <laughs> superhero movie. And people are going to be pissed about this one. It's the new Batman. People are not going to be pissed about that one. 
it was the most watched movie this year on Letterboxd. You're fine. Okay. I know that's, a lot of people are like, it's not the... Here's the thing. It, I, regardless of how it is compared to the other Batmans, compared mm-hmm. against the other movies in 2022, cinematically, this movie is just nice to look at at the end of the day. For me, I'm just yeah. like, I enjoyed... There were, there were boring parts, but I enjoyed looking at the screen. I wasn't on my phone. It was a long movie, which is just like scratching that itch I have. And I just enjoyed it. It was a Batman movie that had cool characters. I got a brand new cast. So I got to learn people all over again. I loved everyone in it. The themes were dope. It was dark. It was moody. It was kind of angsty. And I'm not that guy. But for some reason, it worked for me. Um, if they don't bring this cast back and this is like just a one-off Batman, I'm going to be a little annoyed. But I kind of get, I would be okay with just like appreciating it for it being its thing. And I loved it. Yeah. And if you don't, that's your opinion. But this is my list. And my this number- movie would mm-hmm. have been in my top five if Paul Dano wasn't the Riddler. Yeah. And, but the, for the same reason you don't like the Riddler, I liked the Riddler. It was just gritty. Yeah. And I liked I it. I think I didn't mind Paul Dano doing what he did. I just wish he had a... Di- I wish it wasn't the Riddler. Yeah. And for some people are like, well, you this is blasphemy. Like, why did it have to be... Why, why don't you just make up a character if you wanted a character to be like this? I'm like, I don't care. I don't have the attachment. So it didn't hurt me at all. So I could just appreciate the character for what it is. I loved it. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And my number one is a movie no one else has seen. And I've talked about it a million times on this podcast. And it's my number one. And it's going to be my number one for all of 2022 is 13 Lives on Amazon Prime. Okay. The real, based on a true life uh, movie of the 13 uh, Thai people that were stranded in the caves and were saved. This movie caused me more anxiety from watching a movie than I have probably ever experienced. I had to pause this movie so I could like remember to breathe. It is incredible. Director Ron Howard, freaking legend. You know him from, uh, I don't know, Arrested Development, A Beautiful Mind, Apollo 13. Like he's kind of a big deal. Okay. Um, Colin Firth is in this movie. Joel Edgington is in this movie. Viggo Mortensen is in this movie. Uh, Colin Farrell is in this movie. Who did I say, Firth? Yeah. Colin Farrell is in this movie. Dude, and it is so believable, and I was scared. I was scared, and I, you can, this is one of those movies I'm like, it's based off a true story. I can just Google what happened. Also, this was not that long ago, so I can just, you know, remember what happened. And I was still stressed. I was, there was so much anxiety, and I, dude, this movie made me feel things, okay? And I loved it. I think this is like my whale for you. It's just yeah, like, for sure. it hit a core that I didn't know I had, because there was a point in this movie where they're like, I don't want to go in and save these kids because if we mess up, it's on us. This is like a real life trolley problem. Like if we don't do anything, they're going to die, but it won't be our fault. But if we try yeah. and save them and it doesn't work, then we killed them. And I'm like, this is real, bro. This is not a, this is not the trolley problem. This is a real life situation. Like, do yeah, I, uh-huh. oh, and it made me freaking feel things. And I love this movie. It's very intense. Um, 13 lives. It's on Amazon prime. People should watch it. It's, ah. Oh. My number one movie for 2022. I, I'm happy to hear that. I really am. Um, yeah, those intense movies I can only do like once in a blue moon. And I imagine it being on a true being based on a true story would only like it might give me a legitimate anxiety attack. Oh, for sure, dude. It only works because the 13 people get out, but not everybody gets out mm-hmm. in general of trying to save them. And it just it it just makes you feel things. So here we are. I'm glad yeah, it's my number I- one. I'm glad I watched it. Uh, it's going to be a while before I watch it again. And I think you, I think people going in, 
need to know that it is very intense and taking a pause and breather, it might be necessary. Macy thought I was being overdramatic, but I'm like, <laughs> this unlocked a new fear I didn't know I had. So there you go. I'm glad that we both came here with very different lists. And I think that we came here with bangers from yeah. both sides. I mean, this was a th- no one said the gray man. So, yeah. <laughs> and if that's in your top five, then fine. But maybe you should watch a few more movies. Hey, at least nobody walked up here with the three, five, five. <laughs> yeah, I, I there was a couple of movies I was going through this list. I'm like, oh, that came out. Interesting. The three, five, five was the first movie I watched in 2022. And I walked out and I'm like, wow. Whew, yikes. Um, oh, for TV shows. I don't have a formal list. Uh, but I just want to hit, you know, all the Star Trek stuff that came out this year. Uh, I really liked Star Trek Lower Decks, you know, good, lighthearted fun. Star Trek Discovery. I like Discovery. People don't. I do. Oh, well. Strange New Worlds. I'm very excited to see where that goes. Um, in terms of shows that I'm excited to watch continue, um, The Sandman. I have tried reading Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, and I just can't. I, I find the style just very difficult to read, mm-hmm. but the show on Netflix was really, really good. I'm excited to watch more stories from that universe. I think it's a cool universe, and I'm excited to continue with it. Um, the show that I didn't think was going to be as good as everyone said it was, but it absolutely is, is Peacemaker. Peacemaker came out at the beginning of 2022, and uh, it's good from start to finish. It's fantastic. Um, I'm very excited to watch more of that, and I really liked John Cena. He's a good actor now, and I liked watching him do that. So Peacemaker was my favorite new TV show of the year, which is weird to say, but it's it's true. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I didn't know the top five for this. Um, there is, a, so my number one is Atlanta. I mean, my f- number five, the f- starting off is Atlanta. The caveat is I started watching Atlanta this year. I haven't gotten to the part that came, the season that came out in 2022. Atlanta's Atlanta. If anything, I've, I'm on season three of the four seasons that are out and it ends on the fourth season. It's consistent across all seasons. I don't think one season is better than the other season. I think they're all consistent. It's worth a watch. There's a lot, couple of like um, spinoff episodes are just about something else um, that make you think. And I think it's it's just an interesting show. It's also good that it, it remains pretty authentic as far as like racism, black culture, all that stuff without having to get too deep. Like ne- there's no sex and like there's violence, but it's very tolerable. You don't I don't feel like I'm grimacing watching this show like no one's being executed, you know, and I've gotten to like I like there's, you know, gory shows and there's real like game of thrones dude that's everyone's go-to game of thrones um vikings all that super like dark stuff i'm cool with i like dark themes i don't need to watch a bunch of people get murked you know i don't need to watch essay scenes i don't need to watch just sex in general i don't need nudity for the sake of nudity that's not me um and atlanta doesn't have any of that stuff it's just like the culture it's about a manager supporting uh, up and coming rapper while trying to live his life in Atlanta. And it just feels good to watch. Yeah. Atlanta is one of those shows that I know would be a very quick watch for me because there's not a lot of it. 
And it's, yeah. it's one of those shows that has like high quality, low quantity ratios where I could probably knock it out in like a month if I wanted to. Yeah. 10 episodes um, a season, 30 minute episodes, four seasons, 40. So 40 episodes, I think. Um, it's very tolerable. It's, I would say they're meals. Each episode, I'm like, I know this is 30 minutes. It feels like an hour because it's just a lot. It feels like a product. The whole thing's a production. Um, Don Glover knows what he's doing. So I'm like, I've just been going through it slow. Um, my number four is going to be the final seasons of Ozarks. Ozarks okay. is a great, great show. The final season is not the best season. Um, but watching the conclusions and the ending of the story is awesome. I just don't think as far as an entertainment value it is the most entertaining. I think is meaningful, is important to the story. You need to have it. Um, but like much in a movie, how the second act and the second act beginning the third act is the most important. I think Ozark has, did five seasons. The end of the second act, beginning of the third act would be like season three and season four. And I love those seasons. Season five is climax, wrapping it up. Um, it's it's great. You need to watch it. Um, it's just not my favorite, but it's still good television. It's better than most television, but Ozark sets the bar high. Then Barry, the final season of Barry. Barry is a great show. It's great. <laughs> just, it's just end of sentence. It's good. If you like Bill Hader, you will like this show. If you don't like Bill Hader, you're not going to like this show. There's The thing is, is like it's about a hitman who is studying to be an actor, which is a weird concept in general. But you can't watch this show if you just like want to watch a hitman show because it's not that. It's a Bill Hader show where he's the hitman. So it's offbeat. It's weird. And the pacing's weird. And his relationships with people are weird because he's a, he's a hitman. He's socially disconnected. He's like a sociopath. It's weird. Um, if you like Bill Hader, you're going to like it. If you don't, you're not going to. I enjoyed it tremendously. Um, so I highly recommend it. Number two is The Bear. I've talked about it in previous episodes. The world has talked about it. It's about a chef running a restaurant in Chicago. I think it's less than 10 episodes. Each episode is 25 minutes. It's on Hulu. You need to watch it. I, it's it's just quality television. And then my number one is Severance. Holy! I thought he was going to say Survivor. Oh, well. No, no. Survivor's not making top five. Um, that being said, new season of The Mole. That was good, too. Got to <laughs> circle back to that one. That's fair. I mean, the thing is, is I'm so far behind on Survivor. I'm halfway through seasons. <laughs> I'm halfway through the seasons because there's over 40 i think there's 43 or 44 out right now i'm in the 20s so i haven't even cracked the 2010s yet no i think i just cracked the 2010s i'm at like 2011 2012 right now so like i am far beyond the best of 2022 um severance is an amazing show on apple tv plus it's directed by ben stiller and it's i mean it's just a beautiful beautiful concept it's, it's like nothing you've ever seen before it's artsy it's thought-provoking it's intense it's just a thrill to watch and i want more seasons i want to inject this show into my veins it's just mm. great i think it is gonna go down um easily easily even with the first season top 100 tv shows of all time easily oh wow um of all time and i think that's like voted on by the audience top 100 tv shows of all time um personally for me it's top 10 it's not it's the world is too diverse for it to be top 10. That needs to be like okay. breaking bad, the wire Sopranos, that kind of thing. This is not that this is too different. Um, I've talked about in previous podcasts. Long and short of it is there are people 
who have uh, something in their brain altered so that when they go to work, they can experience work. And when they leave, they don't remember a single thing that happened at work. And the person who in the part of them that's at work doesn't remember a single thing on the outside. So that keeps the person at work highly productive because the drama and the grief that person might be dealing with at home, they don't even know about it. So they're not taking that to the workplace. And all the grief or drama or the tediousness of done in an office at work, they can't take home. So from the perspective of a person on the outside, they check in, they go to their locker, they go in the elevator, and then suddenly they're coming down out of the elevator and they're going home. So they only get to live the best part of their life. Unfortunately, that means there's a person in the workplace that only knows the workplace, has no outside relationship with anybody, doesn't know how the outside world functions who's president or anything. Um, and just that concept is being explored over, you know, quite a few episodes. It's just beautiful. And I loved it. Severance, Apple TV plus. Um, I didn't play too many new games this year that I really want to talk about. Like all the games that I bought new were kind of duds. If I'm being honest with you, the new saints row was good, but not great. I didn't finish mm-hmm. Gotham Knights. Pokemon Scarlet was a technical mess. Um, so, like, the I was looking through all the games that I played that came out this year, and I think of all of them, the one that really gave me, like, a fresh experience, the kind of uh, adventure that I don't experience that often anymore um, was Tunic. This was a game that I played back in like March or something like that. It's like an old school Legend of Zelda game mixed with like Soulsborne type mechanics. And I'm not a Soulsborne guy. Dark Souls, Bloodborne, those games aren't for me. But this game like reeled back the difficulty just enough for me to still feel like I was having a fun adventure without like beating me over the head with difficulty. The art style is super cute and it's a kind of game that we're not going to see for a while after this, or we're going to see a bunch of them and they're not going to be any good. (laughs) So tunic is really the best game that I've played this year. You know, other notable games like high on life, the new Justin Roiland game. If you like Rick and Morty, you'll like this. If you don't, you won't. It's that simple. Um, and the Modern Warfare 2. Hey, I put a bunch of hours into that multiplayer. Does it mean it's good? Absolutely not. Can I put it down? I'm having difficulties. Uh, and also Sonic Frontiers is the best Sonic game that I've played in a very, very long time. So... I think 2023 is going to be a much better year for gaming for me. There's a new Fire Emblem game that comes out at the end of the month. The Dead Space remake comes out at the end of the month. There's a new Jedi Fallen Order game. There's a new Resident Evil remake. And that's all before March. That's insane. So I'm I'm more excited for the future of gaming than what this last year has done for me personally. Um, yeah, dude, I buy two video games a year. And most of the time, one of them is old, one of them is new. And this new one is the new Call of Duty. I feel like talking about it is wrong. Like, I yeah. shouldn't be. Like, you you know that, right? Like, everyone who knows Call of Duty knows Call of Duty. I'm not going to convince anyone to play it. I'm not going to convince anyone not to play it. It's a Call of Duty. It's good enough. I don't feel like I got ripped off because multiplayer. But I'm not playing Warzone. And the campaign is freaking long. <laughs> so, 
I don't know. Do with that information yeah. what you will. Um, do you want to talk about music? Do you have any music? Um, the really the only new like pop albums that I listened to or like new release albums that I listened to. Um, Sabrina Carpenter has an album called Emails I Can't Send. Yeah. I liked that one a lot. And MXM Tune has an album called something. Let me look it up. The new MXM Tune album was good as well. Those Neither of those albums are perfect, but the, both of them had songs that I pulled off of them that I have added into my daily rotations. Rising is the name of MXM Tune's new album. Sweet. Uh, so... Yeah, I guess I'm. I guess I'm into girl pop now. So, yeah, whatever you know. I I I mean, Sabrina Carpenter. I listened to a song recently, and I'm like, oh, I forgot. This is good. This is good. Yeah. I'm like, it's not really my thing, but it's not bad. Definitely, I'm not upset. It's just good. Um, I got a top five of this. It'll be quick though, guys. My genres are R and B and rap and hip hop. So keep that in mind. If you're not into that stuff, then you're not gonna you're not gonna you might not even know who these artists are, okay? And if you are into this stuff, then I'm this is gonna be just a interesting perspective on who I think is interesting. Um, Nas came out with an album this year um, called The King's Disease Three. Obviously, it's, there's been a King's Disease and then King's Disease Two and now King's Disease Three. It's very good. I'm not usually into Rappers who've been around for a while. Nas is kind of one of those, like, he's in everyone's top 10 list. Everybody's. He's in everybody's top 10 list. He's been prolific for such a long time. He's an amazing, talented rapper. And he's still dropping music after making music for, like, over 20 years. And that's very hard to do. Um, I'm not going to talk about any specific songs for any of these. Unless I really feel I need to. It's just a good rap album. It's number five. Um, Cool, I guess. Uh, My number four... Is going to be an R&B album. It's going to be SZA's brand new one. Dropped, I would say, last month. Um, it's called SOS. It's just straight up black R&B, bro. And if you I've don't... I've heard lots of really good things about SZA's new album. Dude, I've I have heard a lot of good love stuff. It. I mean, she's top five female R&B artists all time for me. So everything she puts out is gold to me. So, and I think this album is freaking amazing. Uh, number three for me is going to be Kendrick Lamar's new album, uh, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. This Kendrick is putting out albums no other rapper is doing, and he is extremely vulnerable. He talks about racism. He talks about domestic abuse. He's talking about the role of a father and like what having a relationship is like. Um, very vulnerable stuff. Talks about drugs and how it's it just. This is one of those albums that a lot of people are like, well, rappers talk about the same thing. They talk about women. They talk about money. They talk about cars. I'm like, this is not that. It When you understand that like Kendrick put out an album in 2017 called Damn and got a Pulitzer Prize. And then he came out with this album. You're like, this guy is just different. Okay. And I don't, this is not a heavy rotation album. I listened to it twice all the way through, maybe three times all the way through. It's a meal. It's art. Um, Not so much entertainment. It's art. Um, it's number three for me, easy. Um, the last two are a little tricky. Technically, one of them is in 2022. It came out in December of 2021, but I bumped it f- the whole year. Um, there is a three-song back-to-back-to-back bangers. Um, so much so that it's on my running playlist. It's on my workout playlist. It's on a I want to get freaking pumped up and feel something playlist. Like, holy crap, this is amazing. It's... 
track two, three, and four. They're all amazing. The rest of the album is pretty good, but track two, three, what and four. Is this? this is Chomp Two by Russ. Okay. We we didn't get that part yet. Okay. Yeah. So the artist Russ put out an album, Chomp Two, on December eighth of twenty twenty one. Track two, three, and four are all bangers. This is a I mean, this is rap, rap hip hop. It's just bars. This whole album is just bars. Um, very lyrical, very like if you like the Detroit sound, this is very similar. A lot of the, uh, same thing with like the Philly sound. Like the beats are there. He also produces all his own music. Um, but the lyricism is ridiculous. Um, and then my number one album of the year is by Blast. Um, it's called Before You Go. Straight up R&B, uh, hip hop influences, obviously, because the culture's intertwined. It's incredible. A lot of people think it's a mid album. Um, those people don't know what they're talking about. It's just gold it's 32 minutes 13 songs came out a day after 420 and it's gold bro he's got rick ross as a feature he's got zakari as a feature it's just like a beautiful r&b album it's got just songs you can bump and then like emotional songs hip-hop r&b it's blast you spell his name b-l-x-s-t called before you go great album when i listened to it i knew this was gonna be my album of the year and this was the fourth i mean we were four months in the 2022 and i'm like well this is it this is the album of the year um and that's how i feel about music in 2022 great year for music pretty good year for tv shows and i think the movies this year kind of let me down i think november and december really have you know worked overtime for 2022 um I'm, yeah, I, and this was a sentiment that I was kind of getting to at the beginning where we're like, I watched a lot of good movies this year. Bullet Train was really good. The Menu was really good. Uh, like, League of Super Pets was really good. I liked The Lost City, but like none of those movies I resonated with well enough to put into a top five list. Right, and then like three of the movies you named in your top five came out in the last two months. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. So like, <laughs> in by the buzzer bro so i don't know uh, the movies kind of let me down this year there was nothing that i'm like i have to see this i have to there was like a few and i'm like most of them even top gun was grossing so much money i think it, i think it capped out at like 850 million or something crazy like that like 800 yeah. something stupid right it, crazy it's, it's like 1.2 billion worldwide or something like yeah. that and i waited for it to stream yeah so i don't it, we just don't, I don't think we've had the phenomenon. I think the phenomenon now is going to be Avatar. It's already top 10 highest grossing movies all time. I think it just passed yeah. uh, Jurassic Park for like seven. Um, but I mean, like these are all, I mean, I think 2022, as far as movies are confu- uh, concerned, is mid. Um, we're going to probably go even more in depth to a lot of the stuff when award season comes out for the Oscars. But mid-year, it's whatever. Now. We've been talking about the stuff that we've watched for an hour now. Yep. So I, I have one free balling segment that I want to talk about. And, and I, I need to talk about it now mm-hmm. because if I don't, I'm going to lose my mind. So Full Metal Alchemist is a lot of people's top 10, top 5, number 1 anime of all time. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Right. People get tattoos of this stuff, bro. And so I, the good little content man that I am, watched it. It's 64 episodes, and boy, is this the most mid-show I've ever seen in my life. 
Like, Alex, I cannot express to you how perfectly, perfectly mid this show is. Like, so I was talking to a lot. I have a lot of people that watch anime at work. Not while they're at work, but you know what I mean. And so I've broken this down with them. And the conclusion that we've come to is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is a lot of people's first big boy anime. You know, when they graduate out of Naruto and Pokemon, they go into... And Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, they go into... Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And it's very easy to do that. It's very contained. It's 64 episodes. It has an overarching story. It's action-packed. It has character development. Lots of interesting things happen. But the problem is this show doesn't know how to connect those interesting things that happen. So there's a good – I would cut 30 episodes out of this show. Oh, my God. You watched all of them? You watched all the episodes? Yeah. And you're cutting half of them? Correct. Okay. Um, The – the third act of this show takes 20 episodes. So oh you would so you would think 60 episodes, 3 acts, you 20 episodes makes sense. That's not how movies work though, or that's not how content works. Like your third act should be like not as much as the other stuff, but it needs to be the most impactful. This movie or this show tried to be a literal third have its be be its third act, and it made the show drag on. And most of the ep- here's what I'm cutting: the first ten episodes of the third act, and the entire second act. Oh my god! It's just nonsense. Like all the cool moments that happen in this show are at the beginning and the end. And I cannot, in good faith, recommend this show to anybody. Unless you're 14 or you just want to know the history of this show. I I think this show has lots of really cool moments. There's a, there's a moment in the first five episodes of this show that is devastatingly heartbreaking. And you think, oh, if this is what the show is going to be for the rest of this series, then I understand why people put this in their top fives. It's not like that. So I, I just wanted to say that I walked away from Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood being bored and disengaged. And I give it a flat five. Like, it's oh, not active. Wow. <laughs> it's Jeez, not bro. actively bad, but it's not actively good either. Craig, you just gave full. Listen, bro. I don't like anime. Okay? I don't. So my opinion doesn't matter. I do, however, know. That Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is a at least a nine on IMDb, and it's in the top twenty TV shows, shows of all, all time, all yeah. time, uh-huh. not just anime all time. Top twenty TV shows of all time, and you just give it a five. Yeah, uh huh. And I'll do it again. All right, man. Uh, each person is entitled to their opinion. I'm gonna do my um, free balling real quick. Black Adam. For all you people who are like, oh, this is a good movie. You suck. You don't know anything about movies. Just too many people. I right, listen, bro. And a lot of you, my friends, my friends and my family. And <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't have the balls to say it to your face. So I'm saying it to you right now on the podcast. Well, you already know I got beef with Dwayne Johnson. This is his best movie. And this movie is mid. This is his best movie. No, this is, that's not true. He's, he's been in good movies and it isn't because of him. He's just in good movies. You know, some people just know how to pick a project and just be the worst part of it. This movie is his best movie. And it's, 
I mean, America agrees with me. It's a 6.4 out of 10. I'm giving it a five and a half out of 10. It's just a superhero movie. He has Superman-like powers. You never really know how dangerous he is. He kills everybody because he can. He plays by different rules. Every single secondary superhero is boring. Pierce Brosnan's character is cool, kind of. Dr. Fate. Everyone else is boring. Does not matter. The stakes are so low. This feels like a Call of Duty campaign. It's just boring. And if you liked it, cool. Don't recommend movies to me. And it, if that sounds like an attack, it's... it's I don't know, man. What are, what are you going to say? I had plans to watch this movie with a friend when it came out back in October. Those plans fell through, and I never got the motivation to go back and watch it. It's so. And now there's so much drama surrounding the movie. It's just not worth it. If you have the free time and you've watched everything else and you feel like, oh, well, I'm interested, then watch it. It's fine. It's hey. just a fine movie. I, I feel weird giving it any more airtime. I'm going to ask one question because I feel like you and I will share similar opinions about this specific aspect. How's Noah Centineo in that movie? It's weird seeing him. He's like one of those guys who's kind of like hitting on on the girl. And that's like... Okay. Because the problem with your secondary character, they kind of have to reduce you to one or two things. So he's like comic relief and kind of flirty. It's negligible. Dude, anyone could have been cast... And that's what I don't like watching Noah Centineo do. So cool. Thanks. It's just... He's a negligible part of the movie. So many people in this movie could have been cast by anybody else and be the exact same movie. It's just a movie. I'm moving next. On. Next uh, week. Well, you have more. I have one more. I okay. watched Amsterdam. It's a movie with I'm everybody. I'm sorry. It's the movie with everybody in it. It's. I mean, you watched Babylon. I confused it with Amsterdam. Now I watched Amsterdam, and I'm never going to watch it again. He's got Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Chris Rock, Anya Taylor Joy, Taylor Swift, Rami Malek, Robert De Niro, and and more and more. It's a based off a true story kind of about three friends who are all involved in world war one and they're trying to clear somebody's name and the Nazis. and it's about like the nazis working in the background after the world war one and like kind of like illuminati-esque like working in the shadows i thought this movie was so uninteresting it is christian bale acting his pants off john john david washington being boring as hell and it's just boring. Macy loved it. <laughs> so it's a period piece. I found it boring. It's got the most interesting part are the cameos. And that's that's a sign of a bad movie. It's just like we're going to keep throwing actors at a problem. Hey, um, I'm giving it a answer six. me this question. Kinda? This is yeah, all I have six. to ask. Sure. How much of this movie is Anya Taylor-Joy in? Ten minutes. Okay, cool. Woo! All right. Don't have to watch it. Yeah. All right. It's a six out of ten. I'm never watching it again. To be honest, I can pick out three parts I liked, and I didn't even like them that much. So, whatever. This movie is whatever. All right. Next week, in week three of Craig's formative movies, we are watching the Robin Williams movie, RV. This is the movie I have the least confidence in holding up. However, when we look at the movies that shaped Craig Wells, this is an undeniable piece of history. So... (laughs) We're just going to take a little walk down memory lane, and I'm excited to revisit it purely for nostalgia, but past that, guys, I can't guarantee much. Um, but until then, my name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. Um, If your mom's around, say hi. If that makes you feel weird, whatever. I'm not really doing that anymore, but like, you know what? 
You know what to do. Do you? This is a weird change to talk about before we talk about our resolutions. Yeah. I did. I messed it up last week, and now I'm like, hey, man, this isn't you. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye.